This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello, everyone, and very much welcome to another edition of Breaking Banks Europe podcast. You're listening to episode number 215, and we're talking about fintech for good today. And to do that, we're actually having a very fabulous host, which is Jacqueline van den Ende, the founder of Carbon Equity. Jacqueline, welcome very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great as you're here. Uh, I think you've got a great story behind you uh, with the work that you're doing with Carbon Equity. Uh, and I'd love to explore what impact you're trying to make uh, and how we can inspire perhaps some other people as well to do the same. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the story? How did you How did you get into Carbon Equity in the first place? Hmm. Yeah. So I have a background as an entrepreneur as an and as an investor. I started off my career in uh, private equity with Hall Investments. Before that, I was a startup entrepreneur already. As a student, I founded the Kleine Consultants, which uh, oh, yeah. some people might know. Mm-hmm. Uh, after four years in private equity, I uh, desperately wanted to be on the startup side again. So I joined Rocket Internet, uh, spent almost six years building companies in Southeast Asia. Uh, and then accidentally became an investor again by joining Peak Peak Capital as a VC uh, partner. Um, but in 2019, I really woke up to the climate crisis. I read the book, uh, The Sixth Extinction, which talks about the five major extinctions in the history of the planet and how yeah. climate change, which in the past has played out over yeah, thousands of years uh, since the Industrial Revolution has been compressed into the past 300 years. And the speed of uh, biodiversity extinction, speed of temperature changes is going at an unprecedented rate. And it helped me realize that, in fact, nothing else matters other than helping solve climate change. Because having a career in which I would simply earn a lot of money and be very successful in my career was pointless if there is uh, no livable planet, which is sort of like the future we're sort of <laughs> rapidly uh, yeah. rapidly moving towards. So. Yeah, at that point, I decided I wanted to spend the next 30 years of my life helping solve climate change. Um, and I do that with the weapon of capital. Yep. Um, because I ultimately believe, that whether desirable or not, that money ultimately decides outcomes in the world. So for me, this is sort of the meta weapon of how I can change outcomes uh, through uh, through money. Yep. Cool. I think I think that's definitely a fabulous story. And I know that, I mean, I think there were, were a lot of people that woke up to the climate change, I think, over the past years. But you see that yeah. that gave a multitude of directions in, in which people are looking for solutions. And uh, from chaining yourself to a highway to, you know, uh, suing uh, large corporations uh, uh, up until I think you take a relatively positive approach yeah. by empowering capital and finding people that want to invest in the dream that you have as well with carbon equity to to make this happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would say carbon is a very pragmatic solution. Uh, so I think there is a role for everything. I think there is a role for protests and extinction rebellion and so- suing uh, corporates. 
But there's also really a pragmatic uh, role for capital within the existing framework of capitalism. And our mm -hmm. thesis, uh, we, uh, we need to invest in climate uh, technology. This is not like some sort of niche. This is a full-blown industrial revolution, right? We, yep. in, in the next 30 years, we need to transition from a fully fossil-dependent economy to a fully fossil-free economy mm -hmm. that will touch upon literally everything. So this is a massive trend, but it's also a massive investment opportunity. And yes, you can make money with that. So yep. I think the innovation of carbon equity perhaps has been to say, you can invest in climate tech, you should invest in climate tech, and you're allowed to make money with it. By the way, you will make money with it because it is one of the biggest macroeconomic trends there has ever been. Yeah. But this is, of course, also what's very often scrutinized if you talk about uh, green investments is like, you know, yeah, okay, we have to accept a discount on returns uh, if we want to do the right thing, right? And I think this has always been a bit of a tension field. H how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's an incorrect understanding uh, because uh, let's first of all separate uh, green and impact. Yeah, mm -hmm. so well, carbon equity, I, we don't necessarily call what we do uh, impact. We call it climate tech investments. What we do is invest in any climate technology solution under the sun via fund of funds. We'll get to that later, but mm -hmm. we basically invest in solutions to uh, at the, to the greenhouse gas problem. Yep. Any of those solutions, whether you're talking about thin film solar cells, uh, carbon-free cement, electrification of steel production, alternative proteins, you name it, mm -hmm. any solution is a double-digit growth market. So are you going to make money in that? Uh, yes. Is it risky in certain technologies? Absolutely. Does diversification yeah. therefore make sense? A whole lot. But... Can you make money by investing in growth stage companies? Uh, yes. Now, I think very traditionally at a climate impact, when you say I'm doing climate impact investments, what does that mean for us? It means investing in companies that have a solution to the climate challenge, right? Yep. The impact part of it is very much associated to social impact or to the very traditional sort of impact returns trade-off. And there can be there can be such trade-offs. Like if you're really investing, let's say, in nuclear fusion, that's a technology that's going to be 30 years away. It's a technology that's going to need a ton of capital. Yeah. So are you taking off-market risks? Yes, you are taking off-market risks. Can you make outsized financial returns? Yes, you can make financial outsized outsize financial returns, but it's going to be a lot more risky. So, yeah. and so, so there is a whole contingency of climate impact technologies where you can have your cake and eat it too. You can uh, invest in positive technology and make market rate or above market rate returns. Mm -hmm. But there is also a contingent of technologies that are so early or so capital intensive that they require a different, uh, they offer a different market rate return, market um, different re risk return trade-off. Yeah. And some investors are willing to make those trade-offs uh, to have the impact that those uh, investments can, can have. And then there is a return. So at bottom line is you can make market rate return climate tech investments. If you so prefer, then you can also make off-market uh, risk return trade-offs, which are higher on the impact side or higher on the yep. additionality mm -hmm. of impact.
Okay, yeah, understood. And so, how do you how do you bridge uh, then these two worlds? All right, so you you stand in the middle between other investors and uh, investment propositions. You mentioned the word growth stage a couple of times. Is that sort of your sweet spot if you look at the investment side, where you're not too early stage, but really focus on a bit later stage uh, companies? How how do you balance that? Yeah, let me briefly explain the model of Garmin Equity. And so we are a, a fund of funds investing platform. So mm-hmm. that means that we don't do direct investments, but what we do is we select the world's best climate funds. There are approximately a thousand climate funds out there across Europe and the US. Um, and that's across both early stage venture capital growth and buyout. What Carbon Equity does is with a team of uh, former Alpinvest uh, investors and people from McKinsey who really specialize in climate technology and energy transition, we select based on climate diligence and financial diligence, we select seven to 10 of the world's best climate funds every year. And the reason why we do a fund to fund structure rather than doing direct investments is because on the one hand, it allows us to deploy capital in a really scalable way rather than mm-hmm. ourselves being yet another climate fund. We find the world's best investors to invest on your behalf. And from an investor point of view, so people who are investing through carbon equity, they get the world's best investors who are investing on their behalf instead of them doing angel investments. So mm-hmm. at literally Bill Gates, we're an investor in Breakthrough Energy Ventures, which is the, the number one climate fund globally. Bill Gates is uh, one of the GPs there. So he's doing the investments on your behalf. And secondly, instead of investing in one company or in 20 companies, as you would in a single fund, you invest in 150 to 250 companies. So you diversify. So, and you mentioned growth stage. Yeah, so we invest both in really early stage uh, funds. So funds that are investing in spin-outs from, let's say, uh, MIT, And but also in growth stage, pre-IPO funds or even buyout funds that invest in really late stage rollout of mature technologies. Okay, and do you see is there are there sufficient propositions around? Uh, I mean, if you mentioned to to seven plus uh, funds to select each year, I can Mm. imagine that there uh, there yeah there are like a thousand around. I mean, that's not even such a big number, right? So um, you have to be pretty picky uh, to to succeed at this. I think. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I mean the. Uh, the climate tech universe is less broad than, let's say, your general buyout uh, universe. So a uh, thousand funds is a lot, but it's not uh, it's not endless. Uh, but we are very picky uh, and uh, we only need to select seven to 10 funds a year. Uh, so the bar is super high uh, for those funds. When we invest, we invest 10 to 15 million euros per fund. Uh, and uh, private investors can access our funds currently from 100,000 euros and in the future from 25,000 euros. And that's exactly the rationale why, as a private individual, I would never, ever have access to a, a venture capital fund where I need to invest uh, 5 million, let alone 10 million, even if I'm a family office with 50 million euros as in, and assets under management, then doing a 5 million single investment in a single fund is very risky. And so... Yep. Uh, being able with small tickets to invest in a portfolio of funds, uh, which all have a climate uh, technology uh, aim, just makes a lot of sense. That's yeah. our thinking. I think that that's really nice. And so do, do you, um, uh, you could actually talk about financial inclusion here, although normally yeah. this investment category is not the, the target for financial inclusion projects. But uh, it is nice, of course, indeed, that people can actually on one end contribute their capital to these causes as well as actually get access to the investment opportunities yeah exactly and there is a financial inclusion goal i mean 
Carbon Equity works with professional investors and private investors. On the professional mm -hmm. investor side, it's your traditional investors. So family offices, foundations, semi-institutional, ultra-high net worth individuals who are investing between one and 20 million. But on the private individual side, it's really about democratizing access to impact private equity. And our big thesis there is that our core target market market has uh, assets between 100,000 euros and 10 million. So private individuals for whom it makes sense to put, let's say, 10, max 20% of their liquid net worth into private equity typically have no access. So by lowering the hurdle, more and more people can participate in private markets. And the reason yep. to do so is because, uh, one, you can have way more impact investing in private markets than moving around, shifting around money in the in the listed stock markets. Yep. And secondly, you can also generate outsized financial returns because you it's basically as if you're investing in Tesla before and when it was a venture case. Uh, so the opportunity for generating outsized financial return is much higher in the private markets than in the public markets. At the same time, of course, it also comes with more risk. So investing in private yep. markets is not suitable for everyone. So when our minimum is 25,000 euros, you still kind of need 200 to 500,000 euros liquid on your bank accounts for that to make sense. So it's democratizing between uh, yeah. brackets. Understood. <laughs> Um, but our vision is the lower we can get those minimums, the more people will be able to participate. So and don't exclude a future where in the future, maybe you can invest from a thousand euros in carbon equity. And then that could be fine if you have 10, 20,000 euros liquid net worth on your, yep. on your bank accounts. Yeah. I think in that sense, especially mobilizing capital is definitely in Europe uh, something we need to work on because we the private markets uh, are just very limited compared to, for example, the US. Uh, really? So I think from that perspective, it's really favorable that you're actually opening the, these opportunities up, um, yeah. which, which also educates investors as well. Totally. And, and there's a huge, huge, huge opportunity. So if you look at that contingent of people between 100,000 years and, and, and 1 million, there's 177 trillion in uh, capital sitting with that target mark, which is three times the size of the total institutional asset managed market with less than 1% invested in private markets. So yeah. if you just open the door by lowering your minimums and making it frictionless to invest, if it becomes as easy to invest in private markets as it yep. is to invest through books or the Giro, yeah, then, then that less than 1% will grow to maybe 5% or 10%. And you're just going to add a massive amount of capital to the market, which can help fund uh, solutions to the world's biggest challenges whilst also creating financial returns for for those uh, individuals and making the private and uh, making the financial markets more inclusive yeah yeah now i think there's definitely a really good cause and especially if you can move that towards uh fighting climate change i think you you can really make a make a big impact there and so how do you see the institutionals re responding to this uh, you mentioned a couple of uh, a more institutional type kind of investors but are they following this and are they also standing by to jump in at some point do you think yeah, I mean, institutionals are at the beginning of their journey. So what is good is that you see a lot of institutionals who are looking to, they want to invest in climate tech, all right? So APG has been doing a pretty good job in the Dutch pension market. Uh, also smaller institutionals are really, they often have a mandate, uh, we need to invest in climate tech. 
Their yeah. main challenge is how do we do that? Because a lot of climate tech, not all climate tech, but a lot of climate tech is a venture. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's relatively high risk and institutional yeah. investors, both insurance and pension funds are rather risk averse and, and, and invest very little into venture, right? That's also a yeah. lot of, that's a big critique in the media on all of these uh, big pension players because there's so much capital with the pension players and they could have such a big role in financing innovation, but they're not doing it, right? So yeah. the risk profile of investing into venture funds is often a, a little bit of a difficult difficult to swallow for institutional investors. Yeah. And then there's also the size and track record problem. Because if you look at climate tech, then most funds are relatively young. They might be in their second, third, fourth vintage. Yeah, the oldest climate funds would be maybe 10, 15 years. So compared to, let's say, buyout, private equity, there's much less track record to go by. Mm -hmm. And then these funds might be relatively small, small being like you know 100 million up to 500 million. Mm -hmm. So if as an institutional investor, I want to go in with a ticket of 30, 50 million, then you can't actually place that with a lot of uh, a lot of single funds. And that's also where Carbon Equity can come in to help them deploy much bigger tickets in a diversified way. So that's yep. uh, but we're but even for us, you know, it, these conversations will take one, two years, which is a lot of internal conversation within the institutional investors on. How do we? Yeah, it's yeah, definitely a challenge. Risk. How do we do it exactly? But the intention is there, so that's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I think indeed. Uh, I, I tend to say always that uh, the money has been piled up too neatly in very big piles for it yeah. to actually be manageable for all kinds of projects where you want to bring it. Yes. Um, yeah, that's well said. Because you know, investing in venture and investing in climate tech, relatively young space, is still quite messy. So those neat piles, messy ecosystem. How yeah. do we? Got a lot of questions. Doesn't really match. No. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it will take time. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and um, so I think that's uh, uh, this sounds like a, a project which is spot on for this age. I think there would be a lot of people that uh, are are investing with you, and so you must also grow. I would expect. Yeah. So, what? How, how's that going so far uh, with you? You started out in the Netherlands, and what's the rest yeah. of the journey? Yeah, so that went actually unexpectedly well, I would say. Indeed, uh, building a business uh, is very much a timing thing. And, and I think our timing was spot on uh, with a emerging interest in climate tech, but also a lot of people understanding that a fund of funds model makes a lot of sense uh, for investing in climate tech. So we raised 200 million uh, over the past uh, two and a half years, uh, more or less, uh, for our fund of fund strategies, which uh, really uh, did not disappoint both from professional and uh, private individuals. We have approximately 700 investors on the platform at the moment, um, primarily from the Netherlands, uh, Belgium, and Germany, also some investors from Nordics. And we have investors from all around the world, from India to Brazil, uh, but cool. the majority is obviously in uh, Benelux and Germany. We uh, set up a, an office uh, now in Hamburg as well in uh, Germany to serve uh, the German market. Um, uh, so our ambition is really to go from the go-to uh, climate investment platform in uh, the Netherlands and Belgium to really being a European play and next step, uh, hopefully a global player. Uh, yeah. And that ambition is uh, to get to at least a billion in assets under management in the next three years. And uh, I feel fairly confident we'll get there. That sounds like a really nice ambition, but indeed it seems like you've got uh, the momentum uh, at the moment. Yes. So really cool. And so, how do you? Uh, so, how do investors find you? Is that all directly, or do you work with partners as well? 
No, so far it's primarily direct. Um, so people invest through our website, uh, carbonequity.com. Um, we are in the process of uh, looking at partnerships with uh, primarily private banks in first instance. Mm-hmm. We're in talks with uh, all major private banks in uh, the Netherlands uh, for uh, working together. Um, and a future prospect, but this is still quite far off, uh, but a sort of an end, uh, end game kind of dream would be that we're integrating on financial platforms so that, for example, yeah. through Brand New Day, uh, through pension platforms, for example, you could choose Carbon Equity as one of the funds that you uh, would like to put your pension in. It just makes a whole lot of sense. A lot of people already invest pension money uh, through carbon equity or inheritances or children's savings plan because the timeline of your investment, private equity, investing in private equity is patient capital. So it's typically fixed for seven years, total fund lifetime, 10 to 12 years. So really need to only invest capital that you can afford to park uh, for quite a while. And that is something that aligns very well with pension timeframes. And then also the goal of having a livable planet uh, at the end of your fund life, uh, including a uh, <laughs> including a, a well-paying pension, uh, but also a, a uh, environment yeah. in, uh, in which you can have a pleasant life. Uh, those goals align very well, uh, both for children's exactly. plans and for pensions. So that would be an end game to really integrate with as many financial platforms as possible. Also for us moving towards smaller tickets. Uh, so... Yeah, we can handle 25k tickets. We've built the technology backbone of our platform, so you can have a pretty frictionless digital investment experience through our own yep. platform. But going down to a thousand euros, I'm not sure if we'll do that ourselves or whether we'll only do that through integrations with partners. Yeah, I can imagine that that at some point would be more flexible to actually get that sorted out. Yeah, uh, with uh, with partners, uh, technology wise. And so do you see that that's, uh, I, because I can imagine, especially if you look at a, sort of a self-service investment option for third parties, you might actually want to look at the list, listed option perhaps for that. Is that also potentially yeah. on the roadmap uh, at some point? Yes, it could be. Uh, so we are looking into more innovative fund structures. So we started very plain vanilla. Uh, we started with a closed end uh, fund structures. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're an AFMD license manager. So at the moment, it is not tradable or there's a very limited liquidity window. Uh, Sorry for all the technical lingo here in your podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, so plain, plain, plain vanilla, because that's the way uh, that your instruments are accepted by the market. Yeah. Now, looking towards the future and especially going towards smaller minimums, but also moving more towards uh, the retail type uh, investor, at least mass affluent, high net worth individual mm-hmm. What could be very interesting is to have evergreen fund structures so that you can yep. enter and exit the fund at any time and then uh, for and then uh, potentially either semi-liquid uh, so that you mm-hmm. end, uh, you add uh, liquid products in the mix with your illiquid uh, funds so that you have uh, semi-liquidity or even listing the fund, uh, which would then make it fully tradable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goal on our end is obviously to keep on raising primary capital. And mm-hmm. because our critique is when you buy shares on the stock exchange, uh, typically you're shifting money. If I buy exactly. shares, you're not investing, really. You're not investing, exactly. No. You're buying shares. Uh, so trading is something quite different from investing. And what we're doing is trying to mobilize primary capital. So it would never be a goal in itself uh, to list the fund and to make it uh, tradable. But if it is a way to uh, raise primary capital from uh, the retail market, then at some point that definitely is a possibility. Won't happen within the next 48 months. 
No, exactly. I can imagine. I think it's also more that I was thinking about it from the perspective that I can imagine that certain partners would want it to be tradable yeah. for them, for, for you to be eligible for them. Definitely. And, and we're having a, a lot of the conversations also with um, more retail banks. Uh, and, you know, a lot of banks are looking into private equity and how do we offer private equity to our customers? Mm-hmm. Especially for private banks, they're struggling a little bit with relevance. So, you know, in the days of my parents, uh, you would have your banker or your private banker who would trade on your behalf. And then you got the Giro and books and everybody in my generation, everybody between uh, 30 and 55 more or less grew up with self-directed trading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the value add and also the ability to reap fees for private banks on trading has uh, almost disappeared. So a lot of private banks are looking for relevance in being able to offer something that people cannot get on the direct market, hence yep. the interest in private equity, also a higher uh, higher return type uh, asset. Um, and a lot of private banks are looking to uh, attract a younger generation of investors because, well, I won't mention the name of a bank, but one <laughs> bank told me that their average customer is 67 years old. Yeah, uh, it's horrible. Yeah. I would have some sleepless nights if I were the CEO, uh, yeah. because that means that within uh, 10, 20 years, your customer base is uh, not there anymore. So, yeah, so that's indeed, uh, if you talk about extinction, uh, yes. this, this is one group that will. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. definitely an extinction case, an extinction, yeah. a very near term extinction risk uh, for your business. Uh, so a lot of them are looking for a story towards uh, next-gen investors, and that's where climate has a massive appeal of mm-hmm. uh, generally yeah, exactly. the, the idea that money is not only a goal in itself, but it also is a means to help solve global challenges. And our thesis is that that's messaging money as a means, money as a means to affect real change in the world is something that is uh, something that resonates much with with our own generation. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. I think that's uh, it's a wise thing to do to try and diversify the portfolio there and attract a, a younger audience uh, like that. And yeah. um, and so, do you, do you see that as well? I think do you do you, if you look at your investment population, do you see a lot of young people? Uh, I mean, of course, you have still the capital gains you might want to still need to get, which yeah. put, might put you in a bit of a challenging position there. But I can imagine there's a lot of attention, or at least for jobs, uh, for example, at uh, Carbon Equity. Yeah, yeah, way more. Our investor base is much younger. Uh, so, I mean, our range goes from a, a three-year-old. <laughs> That's an <an> 85-year-old. <laughs> but uh, the average age is between uh, 30 to uh, 55, I would say. Uh, also, slightly more male-female diversity uh, sure. than uh, your average uh, private bank, which is good. Not good enough, uh, but uh, mm-hmm. better than uh, most. Um and in terms of uh, employees, yeah, we're sort of a magnet for talent. We have a really cool team. Our CMO came from uh, Felix. We have a lot of people who came from Alpenvest. People came right. from McKinsey. Uh, so we have somebody from MessageBird. So really attract talent from uh, both uh, top institutional uh, financial players who are basically looking for, and uh, literally the guys who came from Alpenvest, they say, it was super interesting, mega launch pad. I learned what it is to make a ton of money, but I, I don't care enough about only making money to do this uh, the rest of my life. So a lot of people looking for purpose are seeing that they can be an A player and join a triple A team, uh, but work with purpose. And that has a mega appeal on the market. 
No, I can imagine that indeed. That's uh, it's definitely good. Uh, and it's nice. And, but also, if I listen to to the people that you've got on your staff, it, it feels a bit like you're a, a tech company as well, right? So yeah, you're, are. you're very yeah. much capital oriented. But do you see yourself as a tech company? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but Carbon Acti is a bit of an uh, an odd uh, odd beast. Uh, we're an asset manager meets fintech platform. So uh, on one hand, we're an asset manager. We build fund to fund products. We sell investment products, and that makes us an asset manager. On the other hand, we're a fintech platform that really democratizes access to private equity. So Carbon Acti, and we are venture backed. So we raised nine million euros in total, six million Series A last year from a big French uh, fintech investor. And so basically the thesis there is uh, scalable asset management. We're a wealth tech uh, platform and uh, similar to Moonfair, for example, which uh, have now a two and a half billion in assets under management. They democratize access to general private equity. This is what we're doing within the realm of impact private equity. And and the idea is uh, there is a market for asset management, but if you can reach a younger market and a uh, more mass affluence or in high net worth individual market, it massively opens up the uh, capital base for uh, asset managers. So uh, that is the uh, tech play. And the role of tech for us is two main goals. One is to make sure that we have a frictionless investing experience so that it's as easy as investing through the Giro and through five minutes, you can make your digital accounts on carbon equity and, uh, and, and that should be painless. The other goal is uh, is really bringing to life how money is moving the needle. So through the app, you can see all of the companies that you're invested in. So you have a straight look through your portfolio. You can see all yep. the hundred companies yep. that you're invested in, see what they're working on. You have a news feed with videos of what's happening. So we also really, through the platform and engagement on the platform, really want to bring to life how money is moving the needle in the real economy. And that's what makes it exciting. And that's what builds sort of like an emotional appeal and then the third element of tech is just automating everything that we do so and typically serving smaller investors is expensive Uh, so you need to make sure that you're yourself extremely efficient in uh, doing your kyc and keeping your investors updated with reporting etc so really automating our own operations as a result of which we can serve small customers with low unit economics is very much part of our tech thesis yeah, cool. Now I can definitely imagine that uh, you need the tech here to to be able to indeed lower the entry barrier as well as to make the process very efficient and actually not waste so much money on, you know, investing the money on behalf of your uh, of your investors. Yeah. Um, cool. And indeed, also that you make it so lively. I think it's also really helping people to be to be caught onto. I think your platform as well as the investments that they make. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're investing in such cool companies like Form Energy. They make iron air batteries and they have this reversible rusting process where, you know, when the electricity runs through it, de rusts and there's no electricity, it rusts. And with that, you can save energy up to 100 hours at 10% of the cost of lithium batteries. It's like, honestly, we have an AI company that does, uh, they can locate critical minerals so they can predict with a very high accuracy where you might uh, find uh, critical minerals, which we need for an energy transition. So it's it's really exciting and also energizing and hope giving to see all of the innovation that's happening within the climate tech space. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's definitely a very exciting space. Also, it's, it's, it's always challenging. I mean, I used to uh, work in venture capital in climate tech as well. Yeah. Clean tech was still cool back then, cool. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a tough game. Tough uh, game, definitely. But definitely uh, I think it's, 
it's really tangible and you can get really excited about the projects that you uh, that you can invest in so that's yeah. uh, i can understand your enthusiasm for this yeah definitely hey, and uh, maybe i think we're we're uh, we should be wrapping up uh Jacqueline, because i think uh, otherwise we're uh we're uh, we're overextending our uh, storage space on uh, spotify and other platforms <laughs> um so uh you know, if we look a bit at what the financial industry currently is doing to actually fight climate change, mm. um, what else could we do? Any any call that you would want to make or any collaboration you would want to uh, appeal people to or any thoughts? Yeah, I, th- I think the basic understanding, uh, important message here is money is power. Yeah, so we typically have always thought of like finance is finance and I, you know, I get my salary and I buy stuff and invest in stuff uh, for financial returns, but money is power in every respect. And so when we think uh, money is neutral, it's not. So it actually matters where you bank, right? So obviously there's a lot of uh, pushback on certain banks at the moment. Um, there are banks such as Triodos and Azen, which uh, really uh, are fully fossil free. They're investing in uh, stuff that uh, will support the energy transition. So, you know, as a retail investor, just thinking about your banking choices, those are definitely very integral and and mm. ethical banks to, to bank with. So that actually makes a difference. Um uh, I think a lot of uh, banks are looking at this space, are still struggling. Uh, how do we really move the needle? And and one is uh, changing policies on lending. That's already happening, mm-hmm. probably most yep. advanced. Uh, climate risk is a big theme for them. And then investing in the space. So we see you know, quite a lot of banks trying to set up some climate finance uh, type investments or trying to be an investor in the space. That is good. Um, so I think, you know, generally the intention is is good with banks and the intention is good with uh, financial investors, but this is about speed. So, you yeah. know, if you're a retail investor and you want to be really serious about, you know, supporting the energy transition, think about switching to a green bank. Um, uh, ESG uh, is not the solution, <laughs> probably is better than non-ESG. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I recently sold all my shell shares uh, because, you know, I'm not a, I, I'm not, I'm pretty skeptical on, on, well, I think they're doing a lot of good things and I think they can have a lot of uh, impact in the transition, but I think the new leadership is not as committed as they need to be uh, to uh, the transition. So I exited that and also, you know, investing in a fossil intensive uh, portfolio is it's it's going to be a sunk cost. You know, there, I don't see a future uh, in which we can exploit more oil and gas resources. So a lot of the stuff that they have is going to be a sunk cost. Um, so switch your investments. And then if you want to get serious about investing in uh, innovation, obviously uh, check out carbon equity uh, one way or another. Um, cool. Yeah, that's what I would uh Thanks, Jacqueline. I think that's definitely a good call out uh, to make uh, for people to look carefully at at the way their finance is uh, actually making the world go around uh, and what choices they can make to make impact there. Um, So thanks a lot for sharing your your story here. Uh, It's been really nice to listen about how carbon equity has been shaping so far. And it looks like a really ambitious agenda that really is going to make an impact. So uh, I'm really keen on following uh, how that's going and uh, good luck with everything there. Thank you. Um, for everyone who was listening, uh, thank you very much for joining in on Breaking Banks Europe uh, number 215. Uh, we're very keen to have you back on the show on the next episode. Uh, see you soon and good luck and make impact. 
Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.